Produced by Ranting Rhino Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everybody, welcome back to session four of the Open Pedagogy series. In this episode, we have Arlie Crothers. Now, Arlie teaches applied communications, entrepreneurial leadership, and public relations at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. She's the author of five books, including the open textbook, Business Writing for Everyone, an inclusive guide to writing in the workplace. Arlie's passionate about open education, open pedagogy, disability justice, and universal design for learning, and is currently bringing all of her interests together by co-leading a study on the experiences of disabled, chronically ill, and neurodivergent students, which, by the way, will be published in a story-driven guide to UDL. It is my honor and privilege to have Arlie Crothers on the show. Thanks so much. We'll catch you on the other side. And there we go. All right, Arlie, thanks for taking the time to be with me today to talk about open pedagogy. But before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Uh, my name is Arlie Crothers. Um, I teach at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Um, I teach, my main department is applied communications, so business communication. Uh, but this semester, I'm teaching public relations, um, entrepreneurial leadership. Um, so I've also taught creative writing and, and other things in, in the past. So you are very busy. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time to talk to me today about open pedagogy. Um, you, you are no stranger to open pedagogy. You've been doing it for a while. I, I dare to guess how long you've been doing it for. Um, but having a, a conversation series on open pedagogy, like I said earlier, would not be complete unless we sat down and talked with you. Um, how long have you been practicing open pedagogy? So I was practicing it accidentally before I knew what it was um, for probably since the beginning of my um, uh, teaching career. Um, I started teaching as a grad student in 2006. And then I um, uh, when I graduated in 2009, I went um, to the industry working in PR, marketing um, and communications um, and then started teaching at Kwantlen, I think 2015. So. Um, I've been practicing it uh, intentionally um, probably for only about five years. Um, but before that, I was sort of doing it. My background is as a wheelchair basketball coach. And so a lot of what I was doing, it sort of without knowing what I was doing. Okay. Okay. So when you, when you made that switch from unintentional to intentional, um, were you a heavy advocate for open pedagogy or or did that something that was that something that that just evolved over time? Well, I think that when I understood this is actually a thing that other people are doing, it just unlocks so much more potential because then you can learn from other people rather than I'm doing these things. They seem to be kind of working. Students are enjoying them. Um, but having that like history of practice behind it, I think just makes it so much easier. So I really got kind of sucked in where you start off just doing, I'm going to make a rubric with students. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm doing some great big report project with students or, you know, like it's um, uh, I started off small and then it just kind of ballooned from there. And so I've been a real, I've definitely seen the results in my own practice. And so I've definitely been a big, big advocate of it. 
Okay. That's cool. So if, if I was to ask you to provide me a working definition of open pedagogy, what would you say? So I tend to define it as students doing work that has an impact um, outside, potentially an audience outside of the classroom. Um, so this could be, um, or students also having some control over the classroom community. So rather than it being me, the teacher, giving it to you, the students, it's more of a, a, a t- attempt to be collaborative. Um, but a lot of what the work that I do is, is simply small things that we can do that create a ripple outside of the classroom community. So it's not just in a paper that you're putting in a drawer and forgetting about. Right. And so how do you create that space for students to feel comfortable? Because I'm assuming that they won't know what you mean when you start talking about open pedagogy. Yeah. And I don't know that I ever call it open pedagogy to students. Oh. So I think one of the things I try really hard to do is show students the why that if um, I'm going to be asking them to do this, I want to do two things. First of all, I want to explain how this benefits them. So if I just say, oh, I've got this big project um, and they don't see the connection with their own life, it's going to be hard to get them on board. And a lot of the students that I teach are students who are coming from an education. Most of the students I teach um, are international students from North India. And a lot of them are adjusting to a Canadian education system already, which is already a big thing to ask of people. So I try to be really intentional. about This is why we're doing this. And this is how... Um, because whenever we're dealing with real problems, they can be messy. Here's how I am giving you that, that safety net. So this is not something that is going to be impacting your grades if things go off, off the rail. So part of it is explaining the why, and then also explaining, um, where the learning is coming from and how am I intentionally supporting you and your ability to make mistakes? Yeah, that's great. And so are there any other core principles about open pedagogy that you find yourself practicing or gravitating towards? I mean, I think the, the, a couple of things that I find myself practicing is first of all, really, but when I first started, I was like, I have all these ideas that I would have liked to do when I was a student, but my students are not me, right? Like I am turning 40 this year. Um, I had scholarships. Like I did not, I worked as a national team athlete, but I did not have like a graveyard ship job. And so I think the most important thing that I've learned is really starting with who are my students and what are they interested in? What are their needs? What are their interests? What are their passions? Um, Cause those might be really different from my own. And so giving up that agency, I think, and that um, decentering myself as like the star of the show I think has been a really important principle um, for me because if I can design the most beautiful project in the world, but if I can't get students on board, it doesn't make a difference. You still find that students have a, well, maybe I'm just assuming this, but do you find that students have a hard time embracing that agency that you want to give them? Because in, I'm assuming that in other classes, they're not given that kind of agency. Yeah. And I think, you know, the risk is not distributed equally among our students, right? That I have some students where if they don't get a particular grade in my class, they can't stay in Canada, right? The risks are, the stakes are really, really high for a lot of these students. So I try to be really intentional about that's where things like contract grading and ungrading principles come in for me so that I can help them make the case of, um, if I'm going to ask you to do this, and if I'm going to ask you to encounter real world challenges where things might go in ways that I don't even anticipate, I want to make sure that you have control over 
um, the grade that you get in this class. So um, I found that open pedagogy paired with things like contract grading, that's been a real um, sort of secret sauce. And then I think the other thing is, is practicing a lot of these skills, you know, that um, I, for example, I'm teaching an entrepreneurial inquiry course this semester. And one of the things we're practicing over and over again is how to be curious about something, how to ask questions. So we're doing a lot of activities where, you know, I'll bring in random toys from my parents' attic um, from the 80s and the students will have to come up with 20 questions they have about them and then switch papers and come up with 20 more questions for somebody else's. Um, just practicing, like being curious about things, asking questions about things, um, looking at problems from different angles, you know, like a lot of those things don't come naturally, especially if you've never had agency in the past mm -hmm. in terms of the assignments that you're doing. So um, really giving them a lot of low stakes practice before they're making big decisions. Um, and then for certain classes, I also find that um, the making the decision can be a really stressful thing for some students. And in some classes, just depending on the students I have, I really narrow the constraints so that they're still having choice, but it's a very kind of directed choice. Mm -hmm. So and this is kind of off the, off the page, this question that I'm just thinking about, but it, it just came to mind. I, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about your team background and your, your experiences being a wheelchair athlete and helping you in your teaching practice, because again, I'm going to assume that what you're getting your students to do is a really a lot of active learning team-based projects and stuff like that. And breaking down those barriers that would uh, stop them from practicing in this kind of way. I, I wonder how much your, your, your competitive background had plays into this. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. So one of my first jobs was teaching um, junior wheelchair sports. And, you know, if you are teaching sports for, you know, non-disabled kids, you're teaching like all eight-year-olds or like all eight-year-olds from this one neighborhood. Um, but my first teaching job was teaching coaching wheelchair basketball where I had four-year-olds to 18-year-olds, different disabilities, Ooh. different mobility levels. Some had cognitive disabilities, some did not. And so... I had this beautiful introduction to um, teaching to the margins, right? So really thinking about what are the needs of the athletes who are, you know, um, have the, the most, um, you know, needs and how can we center them so that they are having a positive experience and how can we sort of make space for everybody to be learning, but everyone's learning might not look like every, everyone else's. So for example, um, you know, some of my athletes might be shooting on that 10 foot hoop. Some of them may be shooting on an eight foot hoop. Mm -hmm. Some of them may be shooting on a little tags hoop. And some of them may be shooting in my arms, you know, out there like a, mm -hmm. um, you know, making my arms in, into a hoop. But all of those count for two points. Um, so really, you know, figuring out, like, I really just got this beautiful introduction into how to meet people where they're at um, and to how to design for, for difference so that, um, you know, I teach some courses, for example, where uh, it, the course is designed and intended to be a pathway course for students to upgrade their writing skills before they get into Kwantlen, but it's also an elective. So I will have fourth year journalism students and I will have students who have never taken a class in the English language before. Right. They're brand new to Canada. Wow. They've never, you know, um, uh, Canadian education system is brand new. So how do you have those two students in the same class? and have them each have a positive experience. And for me, open pedagogy has been a big part so that, 
you know, some students um, with that class, I will do things like um, we did, we created an instruction project where students were creating instructions for things that had benefited them throughout the pandemic. So the students who are fourth year journalism students, you know, one student created a 30 page guide on how to use the internet. Um, one, some students created um, recipes that their family gave them. Right. Mm -hmm. So everyone's working on the things they need to work on, but mine doesn't look like yours. And because of that ungrading piece, I know that um, I don't have to worry about weighing, like, how do I, how do I judge this 32 page thing with pictures against this one page, um, you know, recipe from someone's mm -hmm. mom, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah, but uh, for me, designing from the margins is really, really the, the key part. Like, um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to write that down. Cause that's, that's a beautiful title for this particular interview. I'm uh, I've just started an adaptive soccer team. Um, yeah. This is one of the many random projects that I've, I've taken on. Um, I created it with another mom for my daughter and it's, it's been a, it's been a long time since I've coached. Um, yeah. And so I'm coaching the little guys right now. Um, and it's so fun to just think about when we were building this program, thinking about those, those principles, making a list of what barriers have our kids experienced hmm. um, and creating this, this program where, um, you know, we have 12 year olds, we split them into bigs and littles. We have 12 year olds who go among the bigs to the littles and then back again. We have a five-year-old who plays with the bigs, you know, so really <laughs> designing these, these kind of spaces where um, sometimes soccer can look like kicking a ball. Sometimes soccer can look like uh, playing with rocks on the sidelines with another kid, you know, like it's, sure. um, it's been really, really fun. I sort of stepped away from the coaching um, space for a while. It's been really fun to see how some of those universal design for learning principles and mm -hmm. some of the things that I believe about higher education are also transferring to my, my little guys. Legendary rhino. So my little legendary rhino. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't love a rhino? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> great. Um, and, and so I, I love the deconstruction piece. I wonder if you could talk to me a tiny bit about the ungrading because quite honestly, for me, that's been the nebulous piece of, open pedagogy that if I'm honest, I'm a little hesitant to walk into and start opening doors. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it really looks like some people, when they hear ungrading, they think of like, Oh, all constraints and guidelines are off hand stuff in whatever mm -hmm. that for me has not been the approach that I have taken. Um, again, I think it starts with, with the students and it starts with the core material. So there are some classes that like, I'm teaching in the public relations department right now. Um, I'm new to this course. I'm not doing, um, ungrading right now in this course. Um, but I have found that the contract grading, um, especially for me, um, the thing that I I'm thinking about, what am I trying to get students to do? And for me with writing, all I want them to do is feel like they can do it, practice doing it, have some skills to keep doing it. And so for me, the contract grading approach is basically, um, you know, there's a lot of work on anti-racist writing pedagogy that comes from like Asawa Nui. Um, there's a lot of, of people who've, who've written about it is basically um, at the beginning of the semester, I say, if you want to be in this class, like if you want to just get a B, you have to do at least 10 lessons. So, you know, whether that's asynchronous or whatever, do at least 10 lessons and hand in all your assignments and have all of those assignments be to a particular minimum. So if it hasn't reached yet that minimum, um, I will work with them to revise it, mm -hmm. but it has to kind of reach this minimum threshold. If you do that, you get a B. 
if you do more, so I, if you do bonus activities, uh, if you do a bonus assignment, you get a higher grade. If you do less, you get a lower grade. Right, so that right. means that students are 100% in control of their grade, right? If you want um, an A, there is a pathway to get it, even if you sort of fall off. So if you, for example, um, don't hand in an assignment, you can do a bonus assignment. Um, and so what I found is that, especially in that writing course that I was talking about, I had these fourth year journalism students who were able to get an A plus based on the skills that they learned in a different class. And then I had these students who the course was really intended for who were really working hard, but were really just struggling to get that C. Mm -hmm. I found that contract grading has really evened that out, right? Because mm -hmm. basically all you have to do, it's entirely effort-based. Mm -hmm. So the folks who are just taking it for an easy A now are like, oh, I actually have to do all this stuff in order to get um, the grade. And the folks who are really, really working hard but haven't yet, like still, you know, writing takes time to develop, they can get that A if, you know, if they really want it. Um, mm. And so that contract grading works really well in that particular class. But I think the real challenge with ungrading is finding ways that the grades are holding you back right. and being able to use that. So it may be that one assignment is ungraded. So one assignment, if you do it, you get the points. If you don't do it, you, you know, or it may be um, that you know, there's, you can propose a grade for a final project, um, you know, or provide evidence for your learning. So if you want an A, the, here's the learning outcome. Show me how you earned this A. Right, right. Um, and each one, I think, has its own challenges. It's not like you take grades away immediately and things just magically get better. But for me, that was really the secret sauce in that um, if risk is distributed so unevenly in my classes, mm -hmm taking care of that grade piece and having it, putting that control on the students um, for me was the thing that really um, made them just feel a lot of them have, have expressed, like, I felt like I could be creative before, like but it, I, in this class, I felt like I could, I could try something new in other <laughs> classes. I can't try something new because I can't risk getting it wrong. But in this class, I can try something new Interesting. Uh, and open pedagogy is going to be new. So if I'm going to ask them to try something new, I want to have a grading approach that rewards that. So do you, do you get the students to help you create part or all of the rubric? So for my, when I use contract grading, there is no rubrics. It's just, I just give them, um, audio or like, uh, uh feedback. Okay. Um, and my class is set up so that they have to use that feedback in some way. So they have mm. to build on their skills. Um, but so with, I use contract grading, there is no rubric. There's just a list of like, did you, for, to meet the minimum standards, you have to do this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, I'll talk to you and help you revise it. Um, uh, but if not, you just get check completed. Um, however, I've also have designed rubrics with students before in classes mm -hmm. where I use a more traditional grading structure. Um, and I find that that's really helpful just to get students to understand, um, you know, what am I looking for and why am I looking for it? Like coming back right. to that why piece that we've discussed, because it's not sometimes if you're new, like I have a lot of students who are new to assignments. They're used to high stakes tests. And just understanding, like, why am I being asked to do this? Mm -hmm. um, it'd be a real challenge, even if I provide them with a detailed rubric. Um, so really getting them to come up with that rubric and to think about, like, why am I being asked to do this? What is my instructor looking for? Um, can be really, really, uh, I've, uh, I've had a lot of success with that. Oh, that's cool. Do you find yourself negotiating with students about projects or, like, do you give them that option to to pick a different project that you haven't listed? 
Yeah. I basically say, so in my grading contract, I say like, here's basically, this is the contract. Um, and one of the things is come talk to me. So, um, one of the nice things about contract grading is that I have kind of a bonus assignment, but it can be anything. So as long as it's related to some of the learning outcome, um, I've had students design, um, I had a computer science student who wrote a software program that was based on like the game snake, where every time the snake ate something, it would give you like a little um, question of something that we've learned in the class, um, which is using her computer science skills, relearning the skills that she's learned in our class, but is not something I would have thought of in a million years. Yeah, um, okay. I've had students do, um, you know, uh, art portfolios and, and, and stuff. So um, the nice thing about the contract grading is that I do have the flexibility because it's offered to everyone that if a student has an interest, um, or a student is doing something in a different class, I can really design a bonus assignment to connect, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with that, uh, which is really cool because I find that I, then I learn about things in other, other disciplines and, um, yeah, no kidding. you know, it's uh, a lot of, it, they end up reflecting on the, on the learning in some really kind of interesting ways. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, have you, have you bumped into faculty that you've had some really good conversations with where they're, they're a little uneasy about the open pedagogy, but that they may want to try it. And what would you, what do you say to them? Well, I think the first thing is, is that like anytime that you give a control in the classroom, of course, it's going to be scary, right? right like, right, right, of right. course. And like some of the challenge of open pedagogy is that you don't know how it's often, how it's going to turn out. Um, and for me, I find that putting the focus on the process is really important so that, you know, if we're too focused on the final result, sometimes I feel like it could cause a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. but for new faculty who are interested in it, I always say like, just try to think about one way that your class is currently not working. Like one challenge that you're having, um, is there one little open pedagogy intervention that you could make? Um, or is there a way that you could make this kind of open pedagogy optional? So for example, in my entrepreneurial um, inquiry course, um, the students are doing an assignment right now where we're talking about how we can use our entrepreneurial skills to solve problems in the place that we live. Hmm. So they are writing Surrey neighborhood improvement grants. So these are really small grants. It focuses, focuses them to like think through a little problem, a problem that you can solve with like a thousand dollars, you know, planting a tree, painting a mural, you know, something like that. Um, so the assignment requires them to think through like um, what is a problem in my neighborhood? How can I use my creativity and my curiosity and stuff to come up with a solution? Um, how can I make a little tiny plan to bring that solution into effect? So a little work plan, little budget. Um, those students are submitting it to me. So they don't have to submit it to the city of Surrey. Right. right. However, I'm also inviting the city of Surrey into my classroom. So if there's a few students who are really interested in actually doing this thing, um, they can get feedback on their grant application. They can apply. And if they get the grant, then, you know, they want to plant that tree. They want to do that one little tiny thing. um, Then we'll, we'll count it as their final project. So that's amazing. Yeah. So it's optional, right? Like it's, it doesn't have to be, not every student has to be open. Mm -hmm. Um, And not every, you can start off being like, okay, let's just, this is just going to me first. And now they have the option. So if you want to make a difference in your community, now you have the option to do it, but you don't have to. And so sometimes those little interventions, those one assignment, one rubric, one little 
thing um, can really be meaningful to students and maybe not all students, right? Maybe it's meaningful to like four students. Yeah. Um, but it's a chance to, to sort of see how did it go? It's low stakes because you don't have to submit any of them if you don't want to. Right. Um, but it is a chance to, to do something that has meaning for the students outside of the class. That's so cool. So the city of Surrey, they come right into your classroom and they listen to the projects. Like your students will pitch the project to the city of Surrey. Well, they're just going to come in and basically talk about the grants and then the students can ask them questions. They can talk about their projects um, so that they don't have to, because for some students, public speaking is a bit of a stressor. So I didn't want to have that external audience. Um, but it's a chance for them to get, to be able to show them their, this is what I'm working on. I really am passionate mm-hmm. about this, um, get that feedback and then they can actually apply for the grant. So now that they, the granting, um, agency is aware of us and, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So, you know, it doesn't have, um, my goal is to make it, especially that since this is a first year course, I'm making it kind of low stakes. Right. Um, but I do hope that we get some. You know, there's some students who have been, they write weekly journal entries and they're really talking about like, oh, I'm really excited about this. And there's been this thing in my neighborhood that's been bugging me forever. And, um, <laughs> you know, that uh, um, that program really builds in the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, right. And I find that those can be so big, right? Like clean water, like education for all. Like, there's such big problems. Yeah. Um, so I found that this open pedagogy can be a really great way to just make them just shrink them down. And it's like, you don't mm-hmm. have to solve the world's problems. You don't have to solve, you know, climate change. Mm-hmm. You can plant one tree. You can, right. you know, have one block party, paint one mural, like do one thing that uses your skills and talents to make a positive difference in your community. And that's going to have a ripple effect. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah. So we're thinking about making, yeah, planting. Well, I think I get the reputation as like, Oh, they're planting trees in Arlie's class. Like what's she doing in there? But um, yeah, it's, it's working on their entrepreneurial skills, but hopefully uh, focusing on entrepreneurship rather than like, I'm a lone genius who uh, solves the world's problems as like, I am one person in a community doing one little thing. That's so cool. And, and I can see how that would really tie into, you know, some critical thinking skills and, and even having the opportunity to talk face to face. And even those students in the class who may be there, watching this interaction, having that turn into some kind of reflective exercise later on, I, that that's powerful. Yeah. And I think it's powerful to show them how much power that they do have. You know, I think yeah. a lot, especially with um, a lot of the students who are new to Canada, they're just getting into the Canadian education system. Like they have the drive and the passion and the, the intellect and the talents. Mm-hmm. It's just they're often they're feeling overwhelmed. And so finding one little concrete thing um, one little concrete positive difference that you can make, I think mm-hmm. it shows them that you do have agency, you do have power, you can make positive differences. Um, and this class can scaffold that, right? So that it's not just you having to figure it all out on your own. Oh, that's so cool. Is there, is there anything being done uh, to help educate more faculty uh, with regards to open pedagogy that you're aware of? I mean, I think that the nice thing about Kwantlen is that Kwantlen is very, um, a really supportive kind of community. Um, I was part of some open pedagogy kind of learning, um, learning groups. I think right now with COVID, what I found is that uh, there's a lot of people who are just feeling like I'm tapped out, you know, like it, it's not the moment for me to learn new things. Um, 
So I, I found, for example, like workshops and stuff, people do. I feel it myself. There's so many interesting workshops that I'm like, I really want to, but my brain is just a puddle yeah. on the ground. So, um, you know, I think that there, uh, uh, especially at Quantum, there are opportunities, um, at, at the opportunity, for example, to, um, some of my colleagues are, um, part of that opportunity to develop open pedagogy assignments that are related mm-hmm. to the UN sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are those kind of opportunities out there. Um, it's just a matter of kind of instructors bandwidth, uh, right. you know, and, and feeling like, uh, yeah, that it's, uh, taking on, on, a, on an extra thing. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So as we, as we wrap up, Arlie, thank you so much for taking the time. I have one more question for you. Um, if somebody was looking to, uh, dip a toe or more than a toe into the open pedagogy water, uh, what resources would you recommend that they read, watch, consume? What would you recommend? I mean, I think that there's a really great, um, uh, open pedagogy. I'm trying to remember the name of it, where folks can submit open pedagogy work that they've done and like mm-hmm. uh, assignment prompts, etc. Um, and I think that sometimes the the best way I found that for me, I needed to practice it first and then read the theory and then refine it. You know, like I felt that when I tried to enter in, um, I, for example, um, Anuasawa's anti-racist writing apologies. That was a really big book for me, but I had to kind of experiment a little with contract grading to really, I think, get the full force of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are a lot of resources, especially open resources on things like universal design for learning. And, um, you know, some of those things that for me have been really helpful. Um, but for me, I think I learned most just from hearing what other instructors are doing. So, you know, looking, Googling open pedagogy and your discipline and seeing, um, what other people are doing and thinking like, oh, I could do that. You know, like there's, um, there's so many cool open pedagogy projects happening in other disciplines. Um, for me, it's just, you know, find someone who's doing this stuff. Um, you know, often people post their assignment packages and resources. Um, that for me, tends to be a, a big, a way in rather than having to understand the whole structure and goals and theories and stuff behind it. Um, and then never doing it. I think it's just, you take, put, dip one little toe in, try one little new thing adapt one person's assignment and then take a step back and say, Oh, I really like that. Or I didn't like that. Or, you know, um, and then, you know, look for those, those kind of more general resources. Very good. Very good. Thanks again for taking the time, Arlie. It's always good to chat, chat with you. Yes. Anytime. Thank you for having me. I was like talking about this stuff. Will you come against my country? Will you come against my family? You try to destroy my people. 